This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, in our first program, we feature one of the most talented personalities that ever graced a microphone, Orson Welles. He had one of the most recognizable deep voices in all of radio, film, or television. Of course, when I think of Orson Welles, the first thing that comes to mind for me is the wild stunt that he and John Huston pulled as a prank on October 30th of 1938. He directed the Mercury Theater of the Air in a dramatization of The War of the Worlds, based on H.G. Wells' novel, setting the events in then-contemporary locations. The, quote, landing spot for the Martian invasion was Grover's Mills, New Jersey. That was chosen at random with the New Jersey roadmap and dramatizing it in a style of a musical program interrupted by news bulletins, complete with eyewitness accounts. It caused a nationwide panic with many listeners fully convinced that the Earth was being invaded by Mars. Next day, Wells publicly apologized. While several lawsuits were filed against both Wells and the CBS radio network, all were dismissed. The incidents mentioned, as a matter of fact, in textbook accounts of mass hysteria and the delusions of crowds. And how about this for coincidence? H.G. Wells was driving through San Antonio, Texas, and stopped to ask the way. Well, the person he happened to ask was none other than Orson Welles, who had recently broadcast The War of the Worlds on the radio. They got on well, apparently, and spent the day together. And, of course, we can't forget the film that won him an Academy Award, Citizen Kane, in 1941. That was his first film to be seen by the public. And it was a commercial failure, losing RKO $150,000 but regarded by many as the best film ever made. Orson Welles was its producer, co-screenwriter, director, and star. Nominated for Academy Awards in nine categories, it won an Academy Award for Best Writing, Original Screenplay by Herman J. Mankiewicz and Orson Welles. The uh, quasi-biographical film examines the life and legacy of Charles Foster Kane, played by Welles, a character based in part upon the American newspaper magnate William Randolph Hearst. Uh, Hearst prohibited, by the way, mention of the film in any of his newspapers. Of course, there's the radio series, The Lives of Harry Lyme, one episode we're going to enjoy very shortly. Now, remember watching some of the late-night talk shows when they'd be only too happy to welcome Wells as a special guest, and I recall thinking to myself, my God, that guy's really overweight. Well, no wonder. He once ate 18 hot dogs in one sitting at a Los Angeles hot dog stand. Even his own quotes bear this out. He said, ask not what you can do for your country, ask what's for lunch. And here's another one. My doctor told me to keep having intimate dinners for four, unless there are three other people. Of course, they had other thoughts as well. Here's one I enjoyed, and we'll end on a serious note. We're born alone, we live alone, we die alone. Although, through our love and friendship, we can create the illusion for the moment 
that we're not alone. And now with Anton Karazither, here he is with another episode of The Lives of Harry Lyme, Orson Welles. Presenting Orson Welles as the third man. The Lives of Harry Lyme. The fabulous stories of the immortal character originally created in the motion picture The Third Man. With Zither Music by Anton Karras. Sooner or later, one way or another, crime enters the scene of every human story, whether it's some ordinary little mug telling a lot of other ordinary little mugs how he once rubbed elbows with Jack the Ripper, or Jack himself, not that I approve of Jack. Murder is usually a mistake and always messy. Personally, I never indulge. Come to think of it, the only man I ever killed was myself. It was in Paris a few years ago. It wasn't so much murder as a matter of convenience. is Harry Lyme, the third man in Paris, is not the same. It all started on the Geneva Express. A fat little character with very little charm and no hair to speak of was giggling at one of my jokes. Just another mug. You see what I mean? And not worth the trouble of another joke. Or so I thought. Until he showed me that photograph. It was a woman. And I recognized her. <laughs> oh, there it was, Monsieur Lime. When I get back to yes, Paris, really you must yes. visit us. Uh, us? Me, my wife, Karen. Here, my card. Put it away. Don't lose it. Hmm. 749 Rudy Villas. I remember it. Here's remember. what I was looking for. It is a photograph of my wife. Very beautiful, Mr. Duval. My congratulations. Merci. Oh, but this does not do her justice. Her hair is open. Hmm. Blue eyes. And, of course, the coloring of her skin is lost. But the photo can't hide her qualities, as you can see. Hmm. Indeed, I can. Such a face deserves to be painted, not photographed. I've told Karen that many times. I'm sure you have. But she's not interested. Here's your photo. Mr. Duval mustn't lose it. Yes. <laughs> when I am out with Karen, I am the envy of every man in Paris. I'm sure. 
but they do nothing but stare at us when we enter the room. I see them out of the corner uh, of my eyes. Oh, man, how long will you be in Switzerland this trip? Three weeks. It's a long time to be away from her, but there is the business. Yes, yes, yes. We have come to the border. Ah, it's been very pleasant, Mr. Duval. But, Monsieur Dime, you are not getting out oh, yet. Oh, but I am, old man, but I, I am. But I thought you told me you were going to Geneva. Later, later. I've got some business to attend to here first. I'm sorry. I'd look forward to more of your stories and your delightful company. Uh, business. Business is business, you know. Ah, yes. Here, let me help you with the bags. Oh, thank you. It's not necessary. You can hold my coat. Thank you. Now, goodbye, Duval, old man. Goodbye. It was a pleasure meeting you. Oh, the pleasure was all mine. Monsieur Lime, don't forget, when in Paris, come to see us. I insist. Oh, I won't forget. I, I won't be in Paris for quite some time. But believe me, old man, the next time I'm there, your home will be my first port of call. Uh, good evening. Uh, you're the station master, aren't you? Uh, yes, monsieur. Uh, what may I do for you? I just wondered, um, <clears throat> when is the next train to Paris? Oh, it's waiting across the border for this one to pull out. Taxi, monsieur? Yes, please. Where shall I take, monsieur? 1149 Rue de Villers. Unfortunately, it's out of town. Help me to find you, Harry. 
You married a small skinhead with a giggle, honey. He's been good to me. In his own way, he loves me. He's proud of me and he'll do... And it all adds up to the fact that you don't love him. You would know. You always know more about women than is good for them. Well, I must say, Carol, it's not very flattering to pick a dud like Duval after knowing me. I didn't care much after you were gone. It could have been anyone who offered a little security. Life was dull. The struggle for a little food to eat, the, the blackened ruins of London, the weary faces all around. Why should it surprise you that I should marry a dull man when everything around me was dull? As dull as myself. Darling, you were never dull. No, no, Harry. Please, I've, I've tried so hard to forget you. No, no. Oh, Harry, why did you have to come back? Now I have to start living again. surprises me, Andre, old man. I'll tell you this to show you what war can do to people. I was once an idealist. Hmm? Now I think nothing of peeping on you and madame. A security precaution, you understand? Oh, yes, perfectly. One has to look out for oneself. Andre, you don't deserve an instructorship. I learned that by myself when I was ten years old. <laughs> Something terrible's happened. What's up, Olga? Women discovered. Henri saw me in your arms. She's threatening to tell my husband. Unless I keep him on and say nothing about his little racket. Racket, racket? What's he up to? I've been suspicious about people coming to his room in the basement at all hours of the night. When he was out yesterday, I looked in and found a lot of perfume. Mm -hmm. The kind my husband manufactures. When I asked him about it, he merely laughed. When I gave him notice, he threatened to tell my husband about us. You can handle this. Tell him I'm an old friend who you haven't seen in years. Jealous as he is, after you saw my picture and took the first train to Paris... I had a letter from my husband telling me about meeting him. I'll teach him how to show his wife's pictures to strangers. Oh, you don't care. What am I going to do? You're no good, I know that, but I... I can't help loving you. And you'll just walk out again when you get ready. Any idea of what kind of racket Andrew's running? No, black market of some kind. Huh? Must be very profitable. His bookcases were filled with first editions and his cupboard with better wine than we can buy. But I don't care about that. What must I do? No, nothing, nothing for the present. Andrew and I are going to have a discussion. About us, Harry? Hmm. Uh, that may enter into it. But the main topic will be business. The uh, racket, as you call it, Monsieur Lime, is very simple. The American soldiers have money and are crazy about the Duval's lure of Eros perfume. They pay anything else for it. Hmm. 
Where do you get it? A friend at the factory steals it for me a little at a time. That's a mistake, Andre. How so? You get caught at the next inventory and you'll be out of business. I'm in fear of that too, but what can I do? You need organization. This racket is one that has to be worked fast on a large scale while the Americans are still here and before the factories can get into full-scale production. Clean up fast and then fold. Monsieur speaks as if he had experience. Oh, I have. I have, old man. First thing is to move headquarters from here. The address is too respectable and too small. We need a warehouse, a truck, a few hijackers and cutters, and, of course, a backer. A backer? Who furnishes the money to get the organization in operation. But who? He'll have to be unknown, a silent partner. It'll be a three-way deal. Me, you, and the unknown, the third man. But it cuts our share. Is it so necessary? Oh, yes, absolutely. He's always there in the background, He's one we can blame if we're caught. The brains the police are always looking for. If the lesser thieves elude them, the higher up who always gets away. Oh, no, Andre. We, we couldn't go into this without our third man. Carson Wells returns in just a moment as the third man. Orson Welles, as the third man, continues with Paris is not the same. Now, follow this operation carefully, Andrea. Here are four bottles, three empty and one full of lure of Eros. Mm -hmm. I take the hypodermic needle and draw off three-fourths the perfume. So... Now I put a quarter of an ounce in the three other bottles. Then we fill all four with distilled water. Very skillful, Monsieur Lime. Mm. Yes, I was graduated from medical school, almost. Uh, this is known as doctoring a bottle. We fill the tiny hole with molten glass, and no one can notice any difference. But when the bottle is opened, then it is found out? The soldiers send it home to girls who never had a bottle of the stuff, so how will they ever know the difference? They're just as happy. In fact, Andrew, we're... Spreading happiness to three times as many people as could Duval with his, with his more concentrated perfume. Tell me, when is Duval coming back? Uh, next week, Friday. I must accept his invitation to call and be officially introduced to his charming wife. <laughs> Karen, dear, may I present to Monsieur Lyme, the gentleman I wrote you about. I'm glad to meet you, Mr. Lyme. It is my pleasure. I look forward to this introduction. Madame, cocktails are ready in the salon. Come, let us dream to this reunion. Did you have a good trip, Edmund? What? Oh, oh yes, yes, quite successful. Forgive me, dear. I've had very disturbing news since my arrival. About the business, Edmund? Yes, Monsieur Lyme. 
Here is an ounce bottle of my best perfume, mm. Lure of Eros. Inspect it carefully. I see nothing wrong, old man, should I? Under the magnifying glass, you would see that the bottom has a tiny hole that has been plugged with molten glass. The bottle contains three parts water. <laughs> Hundreds of such bottles, no one can say how many, have been bought by the Americans and sent home to their friends and sweethearts. Oh, but of course you've notified the police. They'll soon put a stop to this. I understand the Paris police are the best in the world. Yes, they are investigating, but the damage has been done. How did you get this bottle? One of my private investigators disguised as an American soldier picked it up. The man who sold it is being watched in the hope he will lead us to the key man. Edmund, is this a well-organized theft? Oh, the police are sure of it, with a clever brain behind it. Oh, that's what makes them think so. Monsieur Lai, we always have a few thefts. We expect it. But suddenly the thefts at the factory stopped, but two of our trucks loaded with perfume were stolen. The cutting of the perfume is expertly done. It would indicate that a gang, organized like those we see in the American movies, Karen, was operating. Edmund, you spoke to us now of the damage having been done. What did you mean? Oh, my reputation, the reputation of France as makers of fine perfumes. People in America will think that I am cheapening my product for gain. Our friends who sacrifice themselves to liberate my country. Oh, that's all right, Excuse me. Telephone for Monsieur Duval. Uh, thank you, Andre. I will take it in this study. Uh, pardon, please. Harry, you heard him. I feel ashamed. Oh, no, don't get sentimental, Karen. All right, I won't. From a selfish standpoint, I don't want him ruined. Andre's responsible in some way. Yeah, maybe. Are you mixed up in it, too? After you talked with Andre, he moved everything out of his room. Well, let's say Andre and I reached a, an understanding about what he saw. I've got to tell Edmund about Andre. If Andre talks, Duval will throw you out. I'll have to take that chance. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I ought to tell him everything about us and, and ask him to forgive. That was the police. They've made an important arrest. Important? But who? A man who thinks he is very close to the leader. Has he informed? Not yet. It's a workman in the factory. He wants to see me before he makes a statement. Your car is at the door, Monsieur Duval. I'll see you to the door, Edmund. Please excuse me, Monsieur Lime. It's urgent. Please stay and talk to Karen. Uh, goodbye. Anything wrong, Monsieur Lime? Andrew was through. Meet me in my room as soon as you can. My friend has not talked yet, or I would have been under arrest by now. I am taking no chances. I will hide until this blows over. Come on, the money, Monsieur Lime. We are wasting time. Okay, okay. Well, here it is. I divided it up. There's three parts. Naturally, naturally. And one for our backer. Oh. Are you sure there is a theft man, Monsieur Lyme? I told you, old man. I never operate without him. If I could only be sure... What's that? Someone is coming. What do we do if it's the police? Quick, use the fire escape here. Don't forget your money. Goodbye. Good luck, Andre. Goodbye, Monsieur Lyme. Uh, come in. Oh, Monsieur Duval, what is it? You look ill. i get you some wine. No. No, thank you. Monsieur Lyme, I have just talked with my wife. I don't know what that has to do with... Karen has told me everything. Uh, no woman ever tells a man, especially her husband, everything, Monsieur Duval. She has told me enough. I no longer wish to live. I have a gun. At first I was going to kill you, but that would hurt her more than taking my own life. 
Well, to kill either of us would be perfectly ridiculous, old man. I don't care to die, and you, Monsieur Duval, must live for France. Monsieur Lime, I would like to make a bargain with you. What bargain exactly? There is reason to believe you may be connected in some way with these spurious perfume sales. Oh, Andre has disappeared, and until he is found, we have no proof. In exchange for 50,000 francs, I wish you to leave Paris. My intention to leave Paris. But you must leave in such a way to destroy Karen's regard for you, in disgrace, and in a way that will make it impossible for you to return. Mm-hmm. And how do you expect to accomplish that? You will sign this letter. It states that you abused my hospitality by stealing from me. In short, that you are the man behind the perfume swindle. Mm-hmm. She may not believe you even with a letter. I do not intend to show it to her. It will be in my safe and never be used unless I find you in Paris. Then I shall give it to the police. Will you sign? With pleasure. And 50,000 francs, if you don't mind, Monsieur Duval. Thank you. You're a fool, old man. In your position, I'd have used the gun. No woman can go on loving a dead man. What's the matter? Why are you stopping? The street is blocked. There has been an explosion. Uh, you will have to get out, monsieur. The officer is signaling for the cab. I'm sorry, monsieur. We must get this woman to our hospital. Uh, help me with that driver. There's a man back there. Uh, will you see if you can help? It's no use, officer. This man's dead. His head's completely crushed under that cornice. Must have weighed a ton. Uh, hold the light, please. Uh, I'll look for identification papers. Yes, certainly. I've got the light. Oh, merci. Uh, here's a wallet. Poor devil. Who was he? Uh, Monsieur Harry Lim. Uh, uh, Lime. Harry Lime. Permit me to introduce myself, since we are to be sharing the same. Monsieur Lyon. Monsieur Duval. But I thought you dead, were... Dead, dead, yes, of course. That's what I wanted you to think, old but man. But the man they found, he was identified as Harry Lyon. Yes, I merely took his identification and left mine. How is your lovely wife, Monsieur Duval? Oh, no, Monsieur Lyon. I have done you an injustice. Please forgive me. I don't know what you're talking about. You have more than kept your bargain to make Karen forget you. I asked only that you stay away from her. You told me no woman could love a dead man. That is why you did this, Monsieur Lyon. You were right. Karen grieved for weeks, but suddenly she changed and is quite devoted to me. We are most happy. I owe it to you. No, not at all, not at all. It's convenient to disappear, especially after I signed that letter. I know you. You do not want to admit your generous act. I admit I thought you were entirely bad. But on second thought, I knew differently. What made you change your mind? Karen. She is so wonderful. 
grateful, so good. I knew that if she had once cared for you, you could not be worthless. That only goes to show, my friend, that you know nothing whatever about women. Uh, and by the way, whatever happened to Andre? He repented his thefts and returned much of the money to me. Where is he now? He is instructor at the university. Hmm. Philosophy? Yes. He has a course in moral ethics. They say it is the most popular in the university. As the train came to the border, Monsieur Duval looked startled as I stood up to stretch. Our eyes met and he seemed to be asking me about getting off. A look of relief came to him as he saw that I was getting the cigarettes out of my coat on the rack. He settled back and smiled as the train sped on toward Geneva. There was something missing about him. I couldn't quite make it out. Suddenly, as I finished his story and he roared with laughter, I realized that Monsieur Duval had lost his silly giggle. Harry Lyme returns in just a moment. Back in Paris a couple of times since then, there was a little matter of a Maharaja. He left town with a couple of rubies missing from his turban. There was a salesman of phony oil wells who's still sitting around the Ritz, wishing he hadn't tried to sell anything to a certain tall gentleman with a black hat who likes zither music. And there were some blondes and at least three redheads. That's why all the hanky-panky and the sidearm snookery with the oil wells and the Maharaja's jewels, those redheads were expensive. Don't let anybody try to tell you that Paris isn't the same. It is. Only more so, and remember, friends, be very careful at all times. Wear your snowshoes in the winter, and if you ever feel like killing yourself, be sure it's a couple of other guys. Stay tuned for Red Skelton next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time now for The Red Skelton Show. The Red Skelton Show. 
Elton Dave Rose and his orchestra, Lorene Tuttle, Pat McGeehan, and Gene Cuter will be me, Rod O'Connor. Now the star of our program, Red Skelton. Thank you very much, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. What have you been doing all week, Rod? Well, I went to see the Grand Canyon. Say, aren't those roads narrow passages over there? Doesn't have a narrow passage. Didn't bother me. I rented a burrow. What? A burrow, a donkey. Oh, I thought you meant Milton. (laughs) A donkey? I never saw one. You mean to stand there and look me in the face and tell me you never saw a donkey? (laughs) I have now! I don't know what happened. That was your line in rehearsal, boy. (laughs) Well, what's new, Rod? Well, I see where Russia's trying to get friendly with the Western powers. Yeah, Stalin says that if we'll destroy the atomic secrets, that they won't make any bombs until they learn how. Did you hear about the two Russians that were talking? One of them said to the other, says, are you prejudiced against any other nation? The other guy says, no, no. He says, I don't care who drops a bomb on the Kremlin. <laughs> well, speaking of reds, Red. That's a Russian joke. <laughs> oh, well, we all have to go. <laughs> speaking of reds, Red, hmm? I read... <laughs> That in America, practically every family owns a car, but in Russia, there's only one car for every 1,110 people. Can you imagine that? 1,109 backseat drivers breathing vodka down your neck. <laughs> Say, uh, speaking of cars, did you make it for the license plates and the deadline, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. $47 for my car. I was going to say the license fees are high this year, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, $47 for my car. <laughs> See, I don't wait. I don't wait. <laughs> I pay attention at rehearsal, and I know what's coming. Now, $47 for my car. That's twice as much as the car's worth. My car's so old that I had to get it upper and lower plate. I get my license plates from my uncle, you see. He makes his own plates. Your uncle makes his own license yeah. plates? Why? To take the monotony out of making those counterfeit bills? It breaks the monotony of... <laughs> That's what I get for taking the donkey joke out <laughs> Now, he don't make counterfeit money anymore. They caught up with him. They did? Yeah. He, he jumped the gun and printed Eisenhower's picture on a $20 bill. <laughs> well, you know, Red, this may sound silly, but uh, I have a collection of license plates. Hello? Got <laughs> that off an English picture in television. Hello? <laughs> man? Yes. And it's interesting to see how each state takes pride, you know, in advertising what they're noted for. Oh? Wisconsin, the dairy state, has a cow on the plate. Yes. Idaho has a potato. Mm-hmm. Iowa has tall corn. Oh, I bet you cherish that one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and a few years ago, Virginia had one that you'd like. What's that? A big smoked ham. <laughs> I'll give you ten bucks if you show me where it says that. Hey, you, you know, uh, uh, speaking of hams, you know, I believe in reincarnation. Really? Yeah, I walked into the Brown Derby the other day, and a ham spoke to me. <laughs> see, that's what they call actors, is hams, see. Mm-hmm. So I said, a ham spoke to me a minute. It was an actor in there, but 
Boy, when you got to explain them, they're pretty bad. <laughs> I, uh, see, now, that's one thing nice about television. When a joke dies, you can see the actor die right with it. <laughs> I wonder what design California will have on their license plates this year. Well, they were going to have a pedestrian in a prone position, see? <laughs> but they've changed it to a tourist sitting in a smashed-up car with a smudge pot... <laughs> Under an orange tree with a number L reading a map of Florida. Gene Cuter sings Lover. Skelton Scrapbook of Satire. Chapter 322 is entitled The Big Snow. time I had my console tuned again. <laughs> well, here it is, 5.30, and I'm still in bed. Well, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and as far as I'm concerned, stupid. <laughs> oh, shut up. Save your strength. I crowed for you 20 minutes ago. <laughs> I even went one better. I can also lay an egg. <laughs> Oh, you don't believe I can lay an egg, huh? You wait till this next joke comes up, man. <laughs> you know, one thing that puzzles me, if a rooster can crow, how come a crow can't rooster? <laughs> well, I better get up. The early bird catches the worm. I wonder what bird's going to catch me today. <laughs> 
Toilet cold. <laughs> I wonder if I can reach my bathrobe from here. Oh, well, I'll just pull my ears around me. They cover me better anyway, you know. Brr, it's cold. Well, look at that snowman over in the corner. He's turned blue. Well, that's me looking in the mirror. <laughs> By golly, boy, look, I've even got icicles on my nose. I'll just break it off. Oh, that was a stupid thing to do. It looked like an icicle. <laughs> oh, well. I won't have to worry about the sniffles this winter, anyway. wonder what the weather's like outside. I'll go take a look. I think it's clearing up. <laughs> you a great day for the... I'll check the thermometer on the wall. Let's see. Oh, boy, it's really cold. Last night, a 30-second degree mason went down two more degrees. <laughs> I'll have to run down the basement to see how low it really is. Well, good morning, son. Why, you look good this morning. I do? <laughs> you need a shave, though. You're looking at the back of my hair. Well, I'm quick on them come back, you know. Huh? Well, I'm hotter than a $2 smudge pot. Damn, have you been outside yet? Yep. It ain't fit day out for man or beast. Well, then it looks like we'd have a pretty good chance today, don't you? Well, if I wasn't your ma, I'd say you were the number one moron. Well, that's because you don't want people to think you're bragging. Would you like to ride into town and make some money shoveling snow? Well, now, that's a crackerjack of an idea. Well, do you some think... The writer set up three days thinking of that. <laughs> that's a crackerjack of an idea. Do you think you're equipped for a job like that? Well, yes, my... Pe- you know, when we get together, see, we used to have braces on our teeth, see? And we used to kiss each other just to watch the sparks fly. <laughs> Sure, I'm equipped for a job for shoveling snow. My feet are the best shovels you've ever seen. Well, take a leg. I'll be waiting. Okay, let's see if I've got everything. I have my longies, my sweatshirt, my pants, coat, gloves, fur cap with anti-room for my ears, fur-lined sunglasses. Ma'am! Come on! Okie doke, I'm coming, I'm coming. Well, let's get going, stupid. You want to drive? Yeah, hand me the steering wheel. That's funny, she won't bulge. Won't budge. Well, no wonder. Lift your feet. Oh, I forgot there's no floorboards on my side. I now, careful. This road is as slick as glass. Makes the car slide from one side of the road to the other. Oh, it ain't the ice that does that. You see, I learned to drive in California. <laughs> Let's go in and see if they want the snow cleared off their sidewalks. Yeah. Why don't we pick up a place that they won't have any snow and then the job would be easier? <laughs> That's the stupidest remark I ever heard you say. That's because you don't listen most of the time. Poor <laughs> <laughs> cold. <laughs> Will you go in with me? Yeah, I'll go in. I'll go in with you. I want to get warm, too. Yeah. See, it's nice and warm in here, isn't it? 
Who do we see about shoveling snow off their sidewalk? I'm the man. Oh? You have a truck to haul the snow away? Haul it away? That's wasteful. We'll just shovel it out in the street. Then how will the customers drive up to my door? Oh, yeah, I never thought of that. (laughs) Oh, we could pile it up and burn it. (laughs) How can you burn snow? Oh, details, details. (laughs) Look, you want your walk cleared off or not? Now, wait a minute, big ears. Do you think my ears are big? I sure do. Well, you should have seen me before I had them finger waved. <laughs> That's so, Clem. He ain't interested in getting the snow cleared away. He'd no. rather have someone slip and fall and sue him. Well, See, I never thought of that. Well, yeah, it's very simple deduction. Even an imbecile could think of that. <laughs> Funny, I never thought of it either. Well, how much do you charge? Fifty cents a piece. A dollar for both of you? No, you don't. You can't get us to change our price, boy. <laughs> better make up your mind. We're pretty busy. You better let us double that snow off today, or we may not be able to get around to you till next summer. <laughs> but why should I pay both of you? She's the one with the shovel. You see my buck teeth? When I get on my hands and knees and get my head shaking real fast, you'll see snow fly like I was a regular blizzard around. <laughs> well, all right. Get to work. Would you mind opening that cash register drawer again? Why, do you want change? No, my hand. <laughs> Thank you. Now get gone. First, let me count my fingers and see if you didn't shortchange me here. Get out of here. Come on, Mo. It's starting to snow again. Oh, this is going to be quite a job. Yeah. <clears throat> Heavy work, too. Yeah. I hate to see you using that shovel, Mo. Let me see if I can't get you a better one. <laughs> Don't you do something to help? I'm helping. I'm sitting here catching the snowflakes in this bucket so you don't have to shovel them up later. <laughs> Look, I'll go into the general store and see if this guy wants his walk cleared off, too. Okay, but close your eyes when you go past them posters with the pretty girls on them. Is that what's on them posters? Girls? Ain't you ever seen a girl in person? Well, I saw one at the county fair last year. I mean, I thought it was a freak. <laughs> I'll go see about the job and about the writer that wrote this. (laughs) Well, here's the general store. Howdy. Howdy, duty to you, too. I'm shoveling snow off the walk next door. I was wondering if you'd like to have your walks cleaned off. Well, there's no snow on my walks. I don't need them shoveled off. Well, after I get the walk next door shoveled off, there's, there's no place to put the snow, so I thought maybe you would like to have yours cleaned off, too. But my walks are clean. I don't get the drift. You will. (laughs) Now here's Dave Rose and the orchestra and their version of Horace Takata. Thank you. 
Little Kid's Diary. Remember when you were a little kid how important a bedtime story was to you? Especially if you could apply it to one of your own little problems. All right, Junior, get out of those clothes. It's ten minutes past your bedtime. Come on and let me help you get ready for bed. All right. Your father will be home soon. Yeah, and you'll have to put him to bed. All right, soon. I don't be silly. Yeah. I hear. Let me help you off with your blue jeans. Oh, black jeans, I should say. Yeah, I have filthy little wax going. Oh, good. <laughs> and I put clean clothes on you before dinner. How will we ever get them clean? Well, maybe you should send them out to the dry cleaners. But then when they come home, they'll be probably without all me buttons, see? And I could be like the rest of the family. Nuts. The whole family. <laughs> <laughs> That's now, into bed with you. Okay. Now, let Mommy tuck you in. Took me in, she thought. <laughs> well, thank you, Warden. That's just to make sure you don't fall out of bed. Would you feel bad if I fall out of bed? Well, I certainly would. Hmm? You might fall on your head and scratch up the nice wax job I did on the floor. <laughs> nuts. The whole family's nuts. Now, you're all tucked into your trundle bed. How about a bedtime story? Okay, but don't ham it up like you usually do. Oh, <laughs> Now, this one is called A Dime, Ten Cents, One-Tenth of a Dollar. Oh. And the story started in Washington at the United States Mint. Oh, the United States Mint. Mm. That's the place where Bing Crosby owns, isn't it? Stay tuned in. He follows right after this. One of the engravers was examining a shiny new dime. Beautiful engraving, isn't it? It certainly is. But I wonder what good or evil this coin will bring to the world. This statement made the little dime wonder about the world it was entering. But soon it was counted and taken to a bank where it was wrapped with 49 other shiny new dimes. Now it was time for the little dime to go out into the world and to do as the engraver had said, good or bad. His first use was as part of a payment to a woman who was closing her savings account. Here you are, Mrs. Tuttle. 20, 30, 40, 45, $50.10. That's all you had in your savings. Well, I hate to withdraw everything, but this is an emergency. Oh, somebody ill? No, I'm going to the races at Santa Anita. <laughs> yeah, she's going to need a dime for a loaf of bread. <laughs> well, the little dime traveled fast after that. He visited cash registers, cigarette machines, slot machines, buses, subways. He bought food, medicine, candy for a crying child, a shoe shine for a fellow who was to meet his girl, bag of popcorn. Oh, yes, he traveled fast. But the little dime was unhappy. 
Oh, dear, what has happened to my shiny surface? I'm beginning to look like one of those bad wartime pennies. I'm doing about as much good, too, you know. I wonder if I'll ever do anything worthwhile. In these times, I don't stand much chance, you know. I only buy a nickel's worth of stuff. The taxes has made me lose my self-respect. <laughs> look at this scar where somebody bit me to see if I was led or not. <laughs> and look at my face where liberty was written. If people don't keep on spinning like they are, if they do keep on spinning like they are, for things they really don't need, boy, they're going to have inflation and wear the liberty off, too. Ah, uh, but why should I be sad? I is important. They has a, a store named after me, the dime store. Only nothing more than a quarter there now, though. <laughs> the other day, I thought I had found some usefulness. I was in a man's pocket, all cuddled up to a nickel and two pennies and an Eisenhower button. <laughs> and a man stopped at a newsstand and he took a copy and he threw me down on a stack of the paper. And there was the big headline with these words. The March of Dimes is behind its quota. The March of Dimes. Oh, if I could only get away from the greedy fingers that are grasping me and join that great army of marching dimes. They're doing good. They're helping heal sick little children. And if only I could join that army of dimes, I would be so happy. For then I would know that I was intended at just a rate of exchange, not something to be worshipped. And just then I would pick up and I would put away in a pocket for the first time I would put away to rest. Rest. Why? Why now when I'm needed so badly? I wonder where I is now. Why am I being held a prisoner? Folks, would you look around, see if you had a dime, maybe it's me. And while you're looking in your pockets, in your piggy banks, in your fruit jars, in your mattresses to find more than one dime, remember all dimes look alike. Won't you please send all of us to help fight this war against this awful disease? I'll help you win your victory. Please let me fight the enemy that may strike you. You get your value back when you see a little child walk again. And the God in which we trust will repay you with values far greater than my worth. He will repay you with a smile on some little child's face when he or she skips to school. Not limps, but skips. If you to skip the march of dimes, some little child may never skip again. Please, if you hold on to me, remember that to you, I am worth very little. Only a dime, ten cents, one-tenth of a dollar. But if you'll only let me join that big army of dimes, I will be strong, and I'll make your children strong, and we'll conquer this infantile paralysis menace. Thank you for this. Thank you. Now, wasn't that a wonderful story? Yes, Mommy. Good night, Junior. Yes, it was a nice story. Say, you know those two dimes you gave me from my piggy bank last week? Yes. Well, I didn't get around to putting him into my bank. He, um, he's been on a diet lately. <laughs> and besides, I thought uh, I would invest in the jelly bean market while it was up. <laughs> so you send one of those dimes and, and, and see if it can march, will you? But, Junior, the little dime said you wouldn't know which one he was. Well, if uh, he can tell a story like that, then I'm willing to cooperate. Uh, tell him to speak up. Up and tell which one of us he is. Well, we'll send the one dime and hope that it's the little dime that wanted to do good. Oh. Well, on second thought, Mommy Doll, maybe we better send both of them. I know when I get into a fight, 
I always like to uh, somebody with me, you know. And I'd like to have one of me little buddies, and I wouldn't want him sick. Besides, I'm kind of sleepy now, and, and I don't want that dime sitting on the foot of me bed, pointing his little liberty at me all night. You know? <laughs> That's a good boy. Well, good night, child. Good night, Mommy. Sleep tight. I will. My pajamas shrunk. <laughs> You want anything else before I turn out the light? Yeah, take me skunk patrol tail from under me pillow, will you? Dickie Orland gave it to me. For, he said he'd give me a dime, so I might as well put that to work, too. You <laughs> Good night, dear. The Lord has taken a liking to you. next week for the Red Skelton Show. Red Skelton is heard in this program through the courtesy of Metro-Golden-Mayer Studios. This is a copyrighted feature transcribed from Hollywood. This is the CBS Radio Network. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.